April 7th, 2022. Happy opening day. You going? Jealous. It's going to be interesting to see new manager. Albert's back. Will the crowds come back? These are the days of our lives. Enjoy today's episode with Kathy Helbig, Realtor for All. More on that and this crazy market in a second for those new to the show. My name is David Oliver, and this is my playground, OT with Oliver. Warrensburg Senator Denny Hoskins says the proposed 8% legalized sports betting tax is too low. Shocking. He wants more like 21%. How long have they been debating this back and forth? And now, while it's on the goal line, he wants to almost triple what has been agreed to in principle. Charter is now in the news game. Feel free to go check that out on the Spectrum app. If you are checking us out after hearing me on the Mr. Gary Show, feel welcome. We are always looking for new overtimers. If you missed it, St. Louis University's chess team won the national championship. There's something. Cones Deli and Creefcore is up for sale if you're looking to diversify. I should probably uh, swing by, get somebody to be part of the family. Three things you should if you have not. Enjoy Bally's this year while you can on the provider of your choice. Insiders are predicting the standalone app will cost Cardinal fans about 20 bucks a month. And that's before you factor in the in-game betting losses. Number two, season five of Better Call Saul is back on Netflix. Give yourself some time. Final season debuts April 18th. It has been a long time. Talk about the pandemic and Odenkirk's health issues. I am locked and loaded for bear. Doubleheader opener, April 18th. Thanks to our sponsor, Vital, making the world a better place, one customized water bottle at a time. New landing page is very user-friendly. Oliver at checkout saves you 10%. Proceeds go to fixing our foster care problem. Also, the 590 The Fan Studios are open for your podcast. We do all the work. You have all the fun. Some packages even include promos on the station spotlighting your show. Companies can use the Studio 2 for PR in case you want a little something-something to put on your homepage. All right, lastly, if you like this episode, go check out previous conversations with Andy Cron-Candy, Gus's Pretzel, St. Patrick's Center, Document in St. Louis, and Have It of All. So, Kathy Helbig. Look, I reached out to Kathy because I wanted to get some knowledge about this real estate phenomenon we're all going through. And man, did we go in a different direction right from the start. We get to some great stuff about the market, but only after hearing her unique childhood in Ferguson, selling cars in her 20s when we did not call it Me Too. She has been at the top of the sales game and is now driving the bus on the tech game. Selling cars, selling homes, she does not have to sell herself. She's the real deal. Welcome to the Overtime family, Kathy Helbig. The go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. Welcome to the Vital Life Studios. Thank you very much. I, it, it, what, five minutes? Three five minutes? Five minutes. It, yeah, four actually. GPS says. <laughs> the way I drive three. As we head into the second quarter, how was first quarter? I hear it's crazy. First quarter, we needed roller skates to be able to, to get around and keep up. So yes, it's definitely been crazy. Fast pace is a better way. Crazy can be a negative connotation or right. insane, which we say if, uh, often, but fast paced <clears throat> is definitely a, a good way to describe this real estate market. And how many folks you got working, selling? Uh, I have about 30 local agents. Wow. Yeah. Is that a lot? It seems like that's a, lot a lot to me. Yeah, that's a lot. And I have some extended agents, you know, in Florida and, and Arizona and down in Branson that are all part of my organization, <clears throat> but they don't do anything local here. Did a little research, not much, mm -hmm. because I just wanted to have a conversation. I'm somebody who has just enough knowledge to be dangerous, but needs sure. to understand I know nothing. Sure. My dad was in apartments for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what I know about real estates and days on market and things mm -hmm. like that from him. My brother flips homes. Okay. Uh, last three, four years. So that's my, I just gave you everything I know. Mm -hmm. You've been in the game for how long? Real 25 years. 25 years. Mm -hmm. Who'd you start with? Started with, well, actually I started with a small independent guy for just a, <clears throat> just a few weeks, but really launched at Gundaker Realtors was like the first known. Gordon? Yes. Gordon Gundaker. And Mr. <clears throat> Williams? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those were the those were the in command people. Um, I started in '97, got my license in '97, 
and um, thought it was going to be part-time. You know, I was, I was in, I sold cars when I was 19, 20, 21 years old. Yeah, I was one of the few females in St. Louis that ventured into the car business. For whom? Um, I started with Frank Lita, Acura, mm-hmm. out in South County. Um, moved to Frank Lita Honda. <clears throat> Had a little brief stint at, at Dondar Mazda, um, but mostly the Honda products were my thing. So I did that for, I don't know, three and a half, four years. And then I moved into outside sales still to do with automobiles. Um, There was a company that came to the scene back in the day. It was called Dent Wizard. So it was the very first. Out in uh, St. Charles. Well, that's one of them. But Okay. Yeah, the very first um, paintless dent removal system that came to to the scene. So... They hired me as their outside salesperson. They did not only dent removal, but they also had another company called Gold Plated. So I don't know if you remember back in the day when the emblems turning gold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, my job was to go around and call on car dealerships and sign them up for our services, and then get our techs lined up for you know the orders that they had each week. So my territory was St. Louis, not not St. Louis. It was. just outside of St. Louis and then Southern and middle Illinois. So I did a lot of driving and setting up those accounts throughout the week. So I did that until I got, you know, was married, I got pregnant and I was literally almost nine months pregnant walking car lots to the, till the last day almost. <clears throat> and did then, your mom sell? No, my mom was a stay at home, stay at home mom. So where did we get the sales bug? Um, you know, I was always a little, entrepreneur salesperson for some for some reason i'm the fourth of uh four siblings <clears throat> two of my siblings were much older almost like a completely generation different generation from me 16 years older and 14 years older then there was this big gap and then my brother was four years older th- than me and then myself and so i just remember early on like um selling things door to door like fundraisers for my school and not being shy about that. And then uh, I remember like I used to love to paint like ceramics and things as a kid. And I'd go around and sell my ceramics to people. Did you do like stuff a like that. on your lemonade stand? I didn't. That's, that's, that wasn't my strong suit. Sales, not numbers. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's always been in me and that freedom to do that. Um, I got into car sales because of a guy I was dating that was crazy about cars. And we, you know, I got engaged right out of high school. My mom was a stay at home mom. So that was my role model of, you know, go to school. No one ever talked about college to me. It was never an option. My two older siblings did not go to college. My one brother did, but he was like the brainiac in the family. And so that was never really brought up as an option for me. And although I was, um, very studious like I, I was a um, you know a student I was president of student council I was um, captain of the cheerleading squad I was editor of the school book like always you know an achiever but you know I, I was in a relationship since I was not even 16 years old through high school and so the idea was get out of high school get engaged get married have some kids and you know live happily ever after so that was the goal and so while I was dating that that gentleman He's like, you should go sell cars. You can make a lot of money selling cars, but there really was no women selling cars. And I also looked like I was 14 years old. You know, I <laughs> had a very round, round As child you face. Do now, <laughs> Thank 14 you. Years old. Yes. <clears throat> but I was like, yeah, you know, at least it's a challenge. And, uh, you know, why not? There's nothing else that's calling me. You look at all that Me Too crap. Well, I went through too, a lot of that. You know, not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, selling cars mm-hmm. in the early 80s. Yeah, I don't think that was a comfortable situation. No, it wasn't. I I learned a lot and, you know, had to figure out how to handle a lot really as a child. I mean, if you think about now that I have children that age, I look back at some of the things I was doing at 19, 20, 21 years old and think, how in the heck did I think I was an adult at that time? I I ventured into a, a car dealership. I think there might have been an ad in the paper. He found it all the way out in South County. I'm not from South County, so I was completely out of my comfort zone walked in and it was almost like a joke to the guys there that I was applying for this job. So I think I got hired on as like a challenge of just, all right, little girl, come show us what you can do and you're going to fall in your face. You know, (laughs) I don't even know if it was that at the time. I think they thought it was kind of comical that, you know, this girl was coming in looking for a job. So I remember that I was like immediately put on probation. I didn't get the demo right away. Like I had to earn my way into that type of thing. Cause I think they just thought it was going to be a month and I'm out of there. 
So, um, you know, I, I wasn't out of there in a month. I came in, I learned the product. I didn't grow up around cars, so I had no idea what a catalytic converter was and, you know, the pistons and all that stuff. I just studied You're the materials. You're looking at me like I know. <laughs> you know, a lot of guys do, and I didn't. So it wasn't like I went into car sales because, you know, my dad was this mechanic and I grew up around that. Totally clueless. It was just a way to make money. And I like pretty things. So I started with Acuras, which was a luxury line at the time, and um, became pretty successful at it, especially if, as a woman and at my age. And I credit that back to, you know, people hate to buy cars. They hate that atmosphere of going in and dealing with a, a car salesman, especially back in the day. It just wasn't pleasurable. And so I think as a woman and especially young looking, I did be, I was able to talk about my product. I was able to answer questions, but that high pressure piece wasn't there. Nobody was, was intimidated by me. So people would come back and ask for me. And so I ended up doing pretty well in sales in, in the car business. I did that for a few years and then um, ended up getting married, got out of that. <laughs> How long um, was the first time? Uh, first time being married? Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Do we really need to talk about that? <laughs> no. Okay. Actually, I'll tell you. Uh, <clears throat> I actually married the, the competition. So I was working at uh, Frank Lita. And again, I was 20 years old. And my manager at the time, who definitely put me through some Me Too stuff for sure, um, said he wanted to introduce me to a friend of his that worked at a, he used to work at their dealership. So it was a competition. So I was introduced to the Munganass family at the time. And um, I, I met their middle son. We headed off. We dated a couple of years. We got married. We got divorced after four and a half months. So it was it was not meant to be, and again I was by the time we got married I was twenty two years old. So let's back you, at that. You gave it a shot. You knew, yeah, you, you know, after that just, was over, you realized neither okay, one of us were mature enough yet, and there was a lot of <clears throat> a lot of stress and Kathy, pressures. You know what I was doing when I was that. twenty. <laughs> I know, I know. I look back, but you know that was that was tough to admit because that was my first, sure. you know, real feeling of failure there. <clears throat> but there was a lot of pressure on a young girl. You know, it was. You know, that was a big business, and they were a, a wealthy family in, in St. Louis, and there was prenuptial agreements, and there was a lot of just pressure and not pleasurable or joyful feelings during that time mm -hmm. um, around all of that. And uh, didn't feel very accepted by the family. I was a North County girl. They were a South County girl. They were Catholic. I wasn't Catholic. So there was just a lot of tension and, and stuff that we went into this marriage with that as youngsters, we didn't have the coping mechanisms to figure out how to get past all that. North so, girl. We're in North, North County. Girl. So yeah, I grew up in Ferguson. Okay. You know, basically I was born late 60s. So the 70s Does and 80s the last name Rockman mean anything to you? It doesn't, and I'll tell you why. Because everybody's like, oh, you got to know so-and-so. <laughs> so I was born in, in Ferguson, raised in Ferguson, but I, even though I'm a born and raised St. Louis girl, my network was so very, very small because I was super, super sheltered. So I went, I didn't go to the public school systems. I went to a one-room schoolhouse in Ferguson. Eeks. It was a Baptist school. Yeah. And I, maybe, maybe at best, there might have been 100 students from kindergarten to 12th grade. And so we... Where was this at? It was at the corner of Hudson Road and Florissant. Okay. West Florissant, yeah. Yeah, the church is still there, but the school was there for many years. So it was, it was, a, it was a different curriculum. It was a work at your own pace. It wasn't like a teacher in front of the school. Like you, you sat in these little cubicles, they called your office, and you would set your goals for the week with your teacher and then you would have so much of math, so much of social studies, so much of science. You'd have your certain amount of pages you needed to get through. You'd have to go up to the testing center and test. And once you pass that, you check it off for your, your goal card. So I do look back at that. I'm thankful for that because it, it taught me to be very self-reliant and setting goals and, and accomplishing them. Um, so I was in that same room with the same teachers for six years, seven years. No, yeah, All the way up until... Yeah, then we moved upstairs. Upstairs was high school. So downstairs was like that, that whole first grade through, through seventh grade. I had no idea what we were going to talk yeah. about today, but yeah. this is fascinating. Isn't it? That's why I said I've got some. Is there suffering. still a school like that in existence? I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't hear much about them anymore. It's, more, it's very much like homeschool. So 
That's what it sounds like. A it group sounds like homeschool. organized homeschool. Yeah. That's Babysitter what, homeschool. Yeah, I think it was Your mom could pretty work much and, that before so really homeschool caught on. So you were in the bottom floor till sixth grade. Yeah, and, and then, then moved, and then you moved. It might have been through seventh grade. I don't remember. Then but graduated. then we moved upstairs, and that's when you were with the high schoolers. So um, I, I was there through eighth grade. Uh, at the time after that, my parents decided to. We had found a different church, even though we weren't Baptist either. So everything, everything in my life has been like swimming upstream. Okay. It's always I've never taken the easy road. So I'm in a Baptist school, and we're not Pentecostal, but we came from Assembly of God. We were Assembly of God family, um, former Lutherans before I was born, and then we're going to a Baptist school. We had to wear our, you know, skirts down past our knees and <clears throat> very, very strict. And so after that, my family went to a new church. They found a non-denominational church out in in uh, Maryland Heights, Grace Christian. So they opened a school. Which is still Grace, Still right? Grace, uh-huh. That's a huge That's a mega church now. operation. Yeah. So when we first started going there, they were in a storefront. They didn't have the building. Wow. Yeah, so I started going to that school. I went there through my high school year. So ninth, 10th, and 11th grade, I was at Grace Christian. I was on pace to graduate as a junior at that school. Had kind of a little me too stuff with the math teacher at that school back in the day. He was very much a chauvinist, um, condescending man when it came to women. And um, just had some things go sideways with him. I was supposed to come back and do a certain course to qualify for a credit. He reneged at the end of the school year, so it cost me the credit. And he I ended to do up it in his family room. No, it wasn't sexual. It was more. It was more just condescending, and women were were okay. inferior type thing. And so um, it ended now, up costing me. Is your mom me. headstrong? Where, 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 Mom was stubborn. All right, so where are we getting this mm-hmm. I can do anything attitude? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where that came from. Maybe because just being a, a, a fourth kid and um, my family, during my childhood, my family was went through some trauma with some of, one of my other siblings. And so I feel like I was kind of left to grow up on my own a little bit, you hmm. know? And so I don't know, it just kind of... Just kind of came from uh, No college? No. All right, so. No college. Here's what I'm getting so far. We are ballpark it, I don't know, what are we, 15 minutes into this? Mm-hmm. Here's what I know about real estate. Agents, mm-hmm. which you are not one, but we're going to group them all together. Mm-hmm. If you can't believe them, then you've got no relationship and you've got no bond. The thing every good realtor has, in my opinion, is... They're different to everybody, but they're real to everybody. Mm-hmm. Meaning that I might be of wealth. I might not be of wealth. I might know somebody you know. I might not know somebody you know. Mm-hmm. Your job is to first and foremost connect and find out really what I want <laughs> mm-hmm. in arguably everybody's biggest purchase, which is Correct. their home. Walk me through how you learned, maybe from the car thing, mm-hmm. or maybe just from <laughs> the schooling thing right. and well that's kind of where i was that? going going with that that i now that i look back because i had to set those goals for myself and work at my own pace and like do all those things and i was this high achiever um i always felt that pressure to be the best of or, or one of or near the best to to be whatever i was doing but i was so sheltered that i didn't have this huge network you know so a lot of people born and raised in St. Louis, you go to public schools, you got all these friends, or you go to the Catholic schools, you got all these friends, and then you go on to college, and then you got all your college friends. So you end up having this huge network. And that's really something that's a a critical piece of real estate is building on your network, usually. But I was missing that. I just had like this weird St. Louis childhood where I didn't have that. I had 12 people in my graduating class, if that tells you anything. Baker's does. And I ended up graduating from McClure, by the way. So we skipped that part. So I, (laughs) I, I ended up leaving that Grace Christian School after I I couldn't graduate as a junior because of that math guy. And so I had to make up two credits to, to graduate from a public school. So I went to public school at McClure, never setting foot in a public school a day in my life until I'm a senior walking into McClure, very, very intimidating. Didn't know a soul. Um, really still didn't know a soul because I went a half a day from seven 30 or eight in the morning to 1130 and then I went and I, I worked a full-time job right after that. So I worked... In high school. In high school. So I was always just a worker. So that was my, that was my senior year. 
And then, um, so going back to real estate, real estate typically relies on network. I didn't have that. So I I did that. The car sales taught me sales, um, taught me to deal with people, you know, because again, I was pretty sheltered with 12 people at a time. Now I'm in a, a car dealership situation. I'm figuring out how to work with coworkers that were mostly men. I was definitely sexually harassed for sure throughout it. And I just learned how to be like a duck and let it roll off instead of getting all offended. And I figured out how to, how to pivot and use some of that in a favor instead of like shutting myself down and just move forward. So I go into the outside sales that gave me even different type of, cause you in car sales, you're sitting there waiting for somebody to come to you. Yeah. The ups. Yeah. yeah so now, yeah, ups, that's right. So now I'm figuring out how to go out and find business myself. So that was another piece of sales that was critical that comes into play later. Then I go, you decide I'm, you know, I'm pregnant. So I'm going to stay home. I'm going to be a stay at home mom. Cause you remember my role model was my stay-at-home mother and in my mind this whole time I, I didn't marry the high school guy but in my mind this whole time and I'm by I'm on marriage number two at this point that four and a half I did not have a child with so I meet an older guy not older seven years older than me um, right after I got divorced and we were married for 22 years yeah I was with him for 25 years that's a good journey <laughs> yeah so we had three children together and the first one, four months into being married, I was pregnant. So that's the child that I walked the lots with until I you know, finally gave birth to him. Stayed home for two years. And it was the first time I was relying on somebody else to pay the bills, like to you know, to take care of me type thing. And I, I wasn't comfortable with didn't that. Like it. It, it wasn't, yeah, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to be questioned about where'd you spend, you know, where'd you write this check for? Like that kind of stuff. It just made me feel squashed. So I was like, Ugh, I got to do something else. So in the meantime, we were looking at houses back in, back in the day. And Ball so me the year on this, what do you mean? Um, I want to say this was, you know, 96, 97. That's when I All got right. in the business. So market was good. Yeah. Then? Market was good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we were looking, yeah, we were looking for houses and the guy was doing a radio show. My sister heard the radio show and said, you should, you should go to this guy's, you know, he does like workshops or something, how to save on commission when you're selling your house. And, and who's this guy? His name was Terry Hall. He was okay. back in the day. We went to this, this little workshop thing he had at night and decided you went to- the to, Hilton in like this big room? Yes. Yeah, it was probably Westport or something, <laughs> okay. I think. Yeah. So we went there. We ended up calling him to come list our ho- my husband's DVD? house. No, nope, we didn't have that. <laughs> Um, so we ended up listing our house with them and then he's the one that said, you should get into real estate. Um, you'd be great at it. You can work part time and make a ton of money. That's what he said. You know, what's weird. Real estate, please, uh, slap the white guy in the room. It really was one of the first female professions. Yeah. Yeah. Really wrong on them. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong on that? No, no, it was definitely predominantly and it was because female. You could do it at your leisure. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And by the way, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to work all the time. Right. And see, so that's the part. The part of me is like, I'm thankful that guy got me in the business. The Terry other part Hall. of me is I've learned to never tell somebody what he told me because it was a complete lie. Which is? You can do real estate for part time and make a whole bunch of money. I uh, can't do that. No, you got to work hard. Just because <clears> the leads die. Well, it's just not a part-time job, you know, right. and, and especially as real estate has grown like it has. So long story short, I worked for him for probably less than a month. <laughs> While our house was on the market, another agent that You don't had, stick had around buyer, long enough to realize. Once you realize you don't I like didn't it, know what gone. I was doing, and I was literally like, the environment wasn't. But still, I was just putting my head down. And Another working. me I was too. Just putting thing. my head down and working. No, it was just the. Um, it was a lot of like low credit type leads and that type oh, of thing. Right. So it wasn't super polished, put it that way. But I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything about real estate. I was just there learning. And then um, the agent that had the buyer for our house came in to have me sign contracts one day, and she literally goes, "Honey, what are you doing here?" She's like, you're like, you're like a fly that needs to be swatting in this office. You need to come talk to my broker. So that's the reason why I went and talked to the, the Gundaker people. What was her name? Her name was Suzanne, okay. an agent back in the day. So she brought me over. I liked the, the office. We, you know, I went to the office. It was at Olive and 270. It was an old white house, like a historic house. It's not there anymore. Okay. So that's why I went to work for the next four and a half years. And again, this was all pre technology with and for people who don't know gundaker before gundaker Gundaker was the largest huge independent real estate company and then they later franchised they franchised with better like coast to coast it was recognized well well yes because he was a he was a leader in real estate but they were a local they were a local company but he was recognized nationally as a as a real estate leader 
So, um, so yeah, I worked there for the next four and a half years. And that's when, honestly, when I, by the time I went to work there a month into real estate, I got so busy so fast Hmm. that part-time was a, was a joke. I was, I did not last part-time for more than a couple of months, honestly. Did you specialize in a certain area or were you? I specialize in you got money and you have a house to sell. That's where I specialize, (laughs) you know? (laughs) No, I was, I honestly, I don't, people used to come up to me like, how are you doing it? And I'm like, ah. I don't know. I think I got God had favor. I think that was my calling, honestly, to go into real estate. How did you plant your flag in the valley? Well, that was again not by by planning, but I look back at a lot of things and I'm thankful that I made the decisions that I did. So I I was at Creve Corps at that real estate office for four, four and a half years. And that's right when technology was ushering into real estate. So realtor.com came to the scene, nineteen ninety-nine. And they were selling websites to agents and they were selling advertising on realtor.com. And Gundaker at the time, you know, our, our leadership team, I remember being at the Raleigh and he's like, don't waste your money. Don't waste your money on, on websites. Don't waste your money on advertising. It's a fad. No one's going to shop for real estate online. It's a relationship game. Stick with the Post-Dispatch, you know, Harmon Homes Magazine, all of this stuff like that. <clears throat> so it didn't bear witness with me. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I kind of I kind of like what I saw when I met with the Realtor.com people. So I took a risk, and I think I was the first person in St. Louis that actually bought ad space on Realtor.com and started filtering my listings into those ad spaces so that when the public would dive, you know, would land on Realtor.com, there was only six boxes at the top that had featured homes in them. So one or two of those boxes were mine in the very beginning. So I'd filter my houses into those. Like 100 bucks? No, it was $2,500 to have one oh. box. That was a lot of money back then. $2,500 per box? Yeah, yeah. For a year? For like a zip code. For a year? I don't remember, six months or a year, but yeah, it was it was So steep. yeah, that's a lot. It was, it was definitely a risk, but I took it, and I, I saw immediate results with it. And at the time, I was also getting so busy that I couldn't keep up with my business, so I started building a team without knowing I was really building a team or knowing what I was doing because no one was doing that yet. If you weren't a husband and wife, you were, you didn't, there weren't teams. So by happenstance, the lady who brought me over said, you should come talk to my broker. You know, she's like, I was so busy and everybody's like, how you doing this? I just out of naivety said, we should just partner up. She had a daughter. We should just partner up. We should just throw everything in the pot and split it and split the commissions. And they're like, okay. So that was how we started our team basically. And so we did that for, you know, a year or so at Gundaker. But then the way that they compensated you as bonus structures that really didn't work with the team structure. So we ended up shopping around. So we left and went to Remax in 2000. Remax was in the Valley. That's how I ended up in the Valley. Uh, First time around. Do you know Dave Henson? I know the name, but I don't know. Dave created the balloon. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yes, I do. Rest in, rest in peace. Yes, for Good sure. friend of mine. All right. So yes. Remax. So we're Remax, Remax. We're in the Valley. Remax. And so I, this is post flood. Correct. But it's not what the valley looks like today. Correct. And here's why I asked the question. Again, little research, just wanted to hang out and have a 45-minute conversation mm-hmm. with you. I would have bet nine cents on the dollar you would have ended up in Clayton if you were normal, if you were traditional. Maybe. Yeah, but I didn't have blue blood. You know, I was Ferguson girl. I didn't. People around me would name drop and I would not have a clue who they were talking about because that was not my world growing up. <clears throat> so, but yes, I carried myself like I, I could be. Um, Don't name the firm, but there's that firm in Clayton, mm-hmm. downtown, mm-hmm. very prestigious. Yep. You walk in there and I get the same vibe that I get when I was in your place mm-hmm. Tuesday of last mm-hmm. week. There's an aura. Mm-hmm. There's a perception mm-hmm. of you're dealing with the best high end mm-hmm. and it's in the <clears throat> valley which yeah i guess now makes sense but it didn't make sense yeah. when you started it no it didn't and and i wasn't even really thinking about locations i just kind of grew where the business was and i grew where my life was taking me so when i you know met my husband that I was with for 25 years he had a little house in maryland heights that's why i went to that creve core office so where was, maryland heights Oh gosh, right at Marine and Bennington. Sure. Yeah, back in there. So we that's my the house, house that we sold. My that, first house was McKelvey and Dorset. Okay, yeah, real close by. That the pizza place is closed. 
Which one? Benedito's. Oh, Bened- yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- See, I was, a, I was a Farachi's lover, so we oh, always okay. went back there. But we and, and Sarah's, Sarah's is my favorite. So anyway, so um, I kind of follow the office locations kind of follow my life a little bit. So once I was at that Chesterfield location, at that point in time, we were building a home in St. Charles County. So now I lived and breathed over in St. Charles County, but I moved to that Remax location because it was the top Remax in the in the area. But I really wasn't doing a lot in that that Chesterfield Valley area. So I stayed there and then built my business for the next seven years, became the highest selling group in the REMAX organization for the entire Missouri region out of that location. But I was selling predominantly St. Charles County homes because that's who I was networking with now. And it was booming. St. Charles was booming at the time, all kinds of new construction. So I did that for a while. After seven years with having one foot on this side of the bridge where my office address was, but living and breathing on the other side of the bridge, I built up kind of a crossover niche, which was unusual at the time because real estate was super territorial. The West County agents were not going to cross that bridge because their nose was up in the air about St. Charles County. And St. Charles County agents knew nothing about West County. or So late 90s, early 200s, I absolutely know there was a bridge stigma. For sure. For sure. And it lasted for a while. Long time. So again, here on the salmon, swimming upstream again, not doing the normal channels. I was going to say salmon. I'm living it. I'm working out of Chesterfield, but I'm living in St. Charles. So, you know, there was was pros and cons to it. So after seven years and becoming this, you know, top agent, which at the time I was not even tracking. I worked, I ended up moving out of that office, although that was my, where my license was. I moved my team into my basement. And so we became this this highest selling team without even realizing it that year. So we're standing on stage and they're going down the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. I'm still standing there. I'm like, what the heck? I must be number five. Oh, I must be number four. Oh, I must be number three. And finally, they're like, get to number one. I'm like, what? We actually are the number one agents in the region. That is crazy. No idea. So that's where I was never driven to be that. It was never about being number one. I just loved what I did. I loved working with people. I loved helping people. And I loved having this little team around me. Like, that's what drove me. But now, all of a sudden, we made it on the map. And then looking back, I feel like that's where the pressure came in of not putting it on myself. But now it's like, well, crap, we're here. So how are we going to not stay here? Like, that became, you know, a, a more Time of a challenge. To take the notepad out. Yeah. Write down the yeah. five most important yeah. things you're supposed to do. It's like, how do we stay at the top? How big is your hard. team at this time? I mean, I have 30 people, like I would say some of them are part-time. Oh, at this point in time. So, you know, four. I got the the partnership ended after three years. So let me ask you this question. I could talk to a lot of real estate agents. They're going to tell me number one this and number one that. Mm -hmm. And no offense to those people, but it kind of glazes over me because it's like I'm the number one one radio station in in the group of 17 and a half to 18 and a half. Yep. So when you realize, when you're vindicated, Perhaps mm-hmm. my word, not yours. Mm-hmm. How do you take that and make sure it gets enhanced? Like now you know you're good. Mm-hmm. The numbers mm-hmm. have said you're good. Yeah. You knew you were good in your heart. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Now the numbers say uh, you got a responsibility <clears throat> to yeah. keep this going. Mm-hmm. Uh, added pressure? No? Yeah, for stupid? sure added okay. pressure. Okay. Not, not a yeah. stupid question? No, no. That's what I was saying. That's kind of like that, that never meant anything to me. Until we got there. And then it was this pressure from the outside to not go backwards. So that's, you know, an animal in itself, which I don't, I don't enjoy that part of it. Because again, I'm, my whole thing about real estate was just the people. Are you driven to win or driven by fear? Probably more fear than, than winning anymore. You know, I've, I feel like I've accomplished a lot. I feel like I've accomplished a lot. Um, against some major obstacles, some pushbacks. Again, not doing things the easy way, not going to college, not you know dealing in a man's business and car dealerships and taking the type of abuse that was thrown at me and still still surviving. Same thing with the the um, real estate industry, you know. So even though it's a women predominant industry, it's mostly male predominant. And when you get to the leadership level and the CEO levels and that type of thing. So I ran into that in my growth in real estate. So after achieving the best I can achieve, the number one team in the Missouri region, 
I had a company come <laughs> approach me and want me to be an owner. So I ended up doing that. I, I jumped over and invested with a couple of people, and we opened a Keller Williams franchise when it was when it was new, newer in the St. Louis area. <laughs> Did I just say they moved out of that building at Manchester? Did they? They I, may have. I mean, I just drove yeah, by it. Could it could be. Could anyway, be. so when did you put your name on the door? Uh, that was 2008. 2008. 2008. So you're 25 years into it total. Yep. 2008, you put your name on the door. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like ownership. Good, bad, and the ugly. Exactly. Um, thrive off the beginning. So I learned a ton. I would think the hard part would be when one of your agents aren't perfect and you've got to mm-hmm. soothe over that oh, person. there's a lot of hard parts. <laughs> a lot of hard parts about about real estate, um, and the brokers are they're given a bad they're given a bad rap. Like, and, and it's more and more it, it disturbs me when I see people, you know, bash. Oh, I've got to give I've got to give my broker this part of my commission. It's like you clearly don't understand what brokers go through to keep so many people out of trouble and to try to train people, and then our livelihoods are on the on the line with each and every agent that we're responsible for. When we hold their license, we're responsible for everything an agent does. If that agent is out there doing something that you don't condone of and they get, get, you get in trouble, you're in trouble with them. Do you pay insurance for that? <laughs> yeah, there's errors and emissions insurance, but gosh, it still it weighs on you. And it's, sure. it's, you know, I've had to go to court for other agents before. I've had to answer complaints for other agents before. Never my own. It's always somebody that was under me that isn't in there doing what they're supposed to be doing, isn't in their training, just kind of goes off haphazard. And then to me, it's like, it's so frustrating to see anybody begrudge that the broker makes any money. Like they all think we should be doing this out of the benefit of our heart and not profit off of it. And that's the most frustrating thing I think over time that I've learned in this business that I I just want to pound some heads together. So how are you dealing with this? Uh, You're, as I understand it, you're close, if not at the front of technology. And mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. it. Yep. Not talking about realtor.com. I'm yeah. talking, I, you know, reading your website. And yeah. You joined a new real estate mm-hmm. company. Yep. What was the name? Virtual of the, company, virtual. EXP Realty. All right. So how does real estate work when it's virtual? So that was a, that was a question because this, this company, so when I was owning Keller Williams, I, I did that for almost 10 years and it wasn't a good fit. Um, had some major male leadership obstacle things that happened during that company, which is funny now is surfacing from other people that have filed lawsuits against some of the same people that I had issues with back in the day is finally coming to light. And so I left the company, I sold my shares and I was going to either go independent or I looked at this company, EXP Realty. EXP EXP Realty. And they were a virtual real estate company. And that didn't compute to a lot of people because again, real estate is so, you know, relational. And I also grew up as growing a small team. So I, the thought of having people not together wasn't necessarily the best choice that I thought. But I really was intrigued by their model. And I really considered it, it was super close. And had we not had some of the issues we had with the franchise before, I probably would have went that direction then but I needed like a healing time, I needed to go be not part of anybody else and just go do my thing and figure out what we wanted to do. So we went independent, and that's when we opened in the Valley. So, because I was in St. Charles with our with our KW office. So now, um, but I've got that company in the back of my mind. With the time that I talked to them, they were 4,000 agents strong nationwide. Kind of small. Now they're almost 80,000 agents five years later. And the pandemic brought virtual into, you know, most people's reality now. Um, so the way that the virtual company works is that you don't have to have all these brick and mortar offices. I chose to keep one. Most of the agents that work for EXP Realty do not, but I had a meg, I had a big team. So I needed somewhere where we could all convene. So I keep a, I keep a brick and mortar, but the idea behind it is lower the overhead, give agents better compensation, um, become a shareholder of the company because you earn stocks and you can buy stocks in the company so you become a shareholder. So it's a whole different model. And I, I liked it because as real estate keeps changing, you know, the the compensation models keep changing, com- commissions are being compressed. So everything's costing more money and now we're making less money. And so how do you keep your agents happy? You got to either keep providing value or give them more money. 
Well, after a while, your your pie is cut so many ways that there's no there's no more money to keep giving and still make money as a broker owner. So I was intrigued with the extra benefits that this company brought to the table with share ownership in their company. What does a customer get more of now that you're affiliated with those guys than they may have gotten when you were not affiliated with those guys? So there's there's a little bit of it that correlates directly to the customer with having some, you know, easier technology things with being able to meet with people out of state through the, we have like the um, metaverse type campus, oh, you're going DC, you know? Right? Yeah. So before <laughs> metaverse was the words, it was this company, they built their platform off of, off of an online, it looked like a gaming thing. And actually they brought that to me, you know, back in 2015 or 16 and like, look at this, you can, we can get online and then you're in the EXP world and you got your avatars and stuff. And I was like, that is stupid. <laughs> like I'm not a gamer. So that's dumb to me. But had I known that was the, you know, that's the future. So right. they were actually ahead of the game building that campus years ago when they, when they brought this company out. So, um, so that's a benefit to the customer, but really to me, the benefit to the customer is that the people that are part of this company are so dedicated to help each other grow that the education becomes so much better because really when it comes down to the consumer, the brand that you hire makes zero difference. And people are still holding on to 30 years ago of real estate of Gordon Gundaker mm -hmm. had the biggest market share in St. Louis. And back in the day, you know what? That mattered because you had no access to real estate information except through the brokerages. You couldn't go pull up Zillow. You couldn't pull up Builder.com. There was nothing to Google. You would have to call an agent and say, what houses are coming on the market? And all the way back then, each company had their own listings only on their websites. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, going to the biggest broker in town most made a difference yeah. because they had the most listing inventory and all that inventory was captive to them. But in 2003, well, two, 1999, Realtor.com comes out. And now all that information that was Gundaker had the Gundaker listings, Remax had the Remax listings. Now that's all assimilated into one feed into Realtor.com. So the consumers now didn't have to go to Gundaker's website to find that stuff. They could go to one instead of hopping around and find the information. Then in 2003, the big broker took another kind of hit on their value because now that same feed that was available to Realtor.com, National Association of Realtors called IDX feed says, you know what, we're gonna open it to all brokers. So now Gundaker.com will have every listing, including Remax and Prudentials and Century 21s, it's all just like Realtor.com does. And that was good, right? It was great for yeah, the consumer. I thought so. Yeah. But again, being a part of the big brokerage took another big hit because they, they didn't own the information anymore. Kathy, it's like everything else. Gold watches at retirement no yes. longer exist. Everything right. that you're talking about right, right now, it is hustle, be better, mm -hmm. be on top of it. Mm -hmm. I don't plan on moving anytime soon. I've got friends who would love a new house. Mm -hmm. Is it true that homes are selling like within two days of being placed on the market on a regular basis. Am I hearing this right? You are hearing that absolutely right. Is that freaking, I mean, mm -hmm. okay, so knowing that, mm -hmm. doing what you do, mm -hmm. uh, how do you get my niece into a house that she <laughs> likes? You know, that's where the experience part comes in, okay. which is what I was saying, what correlates to the customer about you know, which company, it's really about how well are, is your agent trained and how, how skilled is the agent. So back in the day when, you know, you had all this inventory and, you know, agents would come into the, so when we had first hit the, before the first bubble, everybody rushed into the market. It was a, it was a really strong real estate market in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And that's when, whenever the market's great, that's when you see discount brokers come in. That's when you see inexperienced people flood the market because, hey, it's easy buck, right? I'm going to get into real estate and make all this money. So that dilutes the um, expertise of what's available to people out there. And so people get hooked up with agents that aren't good agents. Well, then as soon as you have a correction in real estate, those people die on the vine. 
they get back out. The people that are really the experts survive, and then you start thriving again. So we did that after the bubble, 2008, everything's sad. I remember I had 88 listings when the market went, <coughs> and nothing was selling. So that was brutal for a while. But then we started clawing our way back out of it, and you know we survived. And because I stayed engaged and was was skilled, we started collecting the lion's share of the business again when it started to come back. So we're in that kind of a weird market right now. We've got so many people that have flooded into real estate because for the last really about six or seven years, it's been a pretty good seller's market. And then just the last two and a half years with the pandemic coming in, it's really just flamed the fire of low inventory. And then what people don't realize is it what it finally hit us this last few years is because because of the bubble, the new home sales that were normally bringing on, I think it was 25, I don't know, million houses every decade, the decade from 2009 to 2019, I think there were only 6 million homes brought on to market because of the real estate bubble. 20%. Yeah, so so we are shy all of that inventory from way back then, which is now what has finally caught up with us. So here's a stupid way that I look at things. Please 1,000% tell me how wrong I am. If you're on the East Coast, right, Boston's mm-hmm. been in a buyer's market for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you're California. trying to get anything in DC, that part of the country, Boston, yep. it, they have not had a downturn. Mm-hmm. I think the COVID pandemic thing Lots of things are changing, and we're we're realizing it. Right. I don't see St. Louis real estate now. Inflation's tricky. Yeah. But I don't see St. Louis real estate getting that much. We've never been the high high. We've never been the low lows. We're affordable. We're affordable. And by the way, affordable is three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, go look at a house. But see, we were used to affordable being one hundred, one eighty nine, one fifty, one eighty. Yeah. So I think. In, in the rest of my life, 53, by the way, I don't think the market's going to go down. Mm-hmm. And I think 300000 has become the 189. Right. And I think the only thing I don't know, because the lack of Fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if St. Louis is ever going to have a, a glut of $2.5 million homes. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to live in that $500,000 range yeah. for a long time. Yeah, we're catching up with a lot of what the other markets had, you so know, th- the... Midwest is always late to the party, <laughs> you, know? you know. So, so for St. Louis, yes, we're seeing like people are freaked out at the appreciation rates that are happening, and it's happening quickly. And unfortunately, you know, we are having a, a challenge with affordable homes. First, on what our past description right. of affordable homes were, but then there's another whole thing adding to this that people aren't even realizing. Now, and do you sell condos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think that'd be. Kind well, they're like becoming the more. Thing. They're becoming more. You know, interested. People are more interested in me because they're 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 running out of houses in that price point. So there's still condos for under two hundred thousand. I can correct. get it. Okay. Correct. But a lot of them are hard to get loans for too. So there's a whole other thing with condos. Right. But here's the piece that people aren't thinking that's of right now. That's the next episode we do. Yeah, <laughs> the piece that pay, that's happening in this market right now that unfortunately is going to bite us in the butt in a few years. And and so I. I struggle with it is there's all of these now institutional buyers hedge funds that have that are moving into these affordable markets and they're buying up those homes so you've got the iBuyer programs open door zillow was doing it zillow got out of it um did they lose their shirt yes they did so then then you but then you've got these private funds that are here you know buying 10 20 30 50 houses a month so when the market before the market completely went crazy, they were coming in and paying, you know, as much as 105% of asking price. They were coming in with no inspections, no appraisals, close in 21 days. You know, it just, it was great for a seller. Like, oh my gosh, this is a dream come true. I don't have to go through repairs and I don't have to worry about it not appraising. So everybody kind of jumped on board with selling their homes to these institutional buyers because it was easy and it was good. It was good terms. But now, if you think about, we're already struggling with inventory as it is. And now, all of these houses of the last two or three years that have been being sold to these companies, they're buying to hold. They're not buying to flip. The majority of them are buying to hold because the rental market is going to become so crazy expensive. They're holding these properties. So now, all of our affordable homes that we're selling to these these, um, institutional buyers are not going to come back on the market in the next three to seven years well, like a lot of them wrong, do. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, 
for the ninth time, the new stuff that is being built is not cheap. Right. And then we can't, so that's another piece of it. Like people keep going, oh, there's going to be a bubble. I'm like, it can't, it can't possibly be a bubble. Every new thing I see are homes $450,000. Yeah. I don't see anything. But the builders can't keep up. So that's where the pandemic came in and made it even worse because the builders were on a good track of, you know, turning out homes, turning out homes. Well, then the pandemic with the supply chain is slowing all that down. So now you're looking at a year, sometimes a year plus to get a home built with a new, with a new builder right now. Um, so they can't keep up with the supply chain issues that we're having. So now we've got institutional buyers buying up affordable houses. You can't build fast enough to keep up with demand. Even with interest rates rising right now, it's not stopping buyers. Because if you think about it, even with a little bit higher rate, you're still better off getting into a home and fixing that expense versus waiting to see what the rental market's going to be because there is no stop on that. Lumber's not going that down. That appreciation's going to keep riding as long as there's not houses to, to buy. Right. Keep jacking up rent prices. And that can change every single year and price you out. Now you got to move out of your place and go find something lesser because you can't afford your payments anymore. Whereas if you're in a house and you got a fixed rate interest, your taxes might vary a little bit each year, but you know what you got and you're, you're, you're safe in that. So you still, it's still smart to buy, even if rates tick up a little bit. This has gone fast. Mm-hmm. Got a couple questions. I can questions. talk real estate forever. It's obviously you love what you do. Mm-hmm. I don't think St. Louis, as we discussed, is going to have a more affordable market. I think we got nudged. Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic yep. nudged us up. Yep. You are 26 years old and newly married. Mm-hmm. What is your suggestion to those people when it comes to buying a home? Mm-hmm. I think you need to I think you need to figure out what you can afford. I think you need to put your boxing gloves on and get out in this market and don't let it scare you because you might not win first time, you might not win second, you might not win 10 times. But eventually your you're going to be the you you're going to be the winner. Fair for me to ask what's your Well, that's this that's area is illegal the most for me to ask. Okay. <laughs> I can see how that would be. Yes. Especially would be. April is fair housing month or something like that. <laughs> All so, right, so yeah. I interrupt. 26, yeah. put your boxing gloves on. Uh, don't take it personal. Mhm. Get pre-approved. Get- so here's here's the number one thing, and I'm, I'm not saying it's for self-promotion. If you do not hook yourself up with a real estate agent that is skilled in this current market, you are putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. I'm telling you all day long. Because here's the deal. I, I had 360 sales last year. 360 successful sales. So that means several thousands of offers and contracts has passed my desk. And we scrutinize everything. We meet weekly and strategize and talk about that was a really good term and that one offer that we didn't even think about doing, so we're going to use that on ours. And then this person put an offer on my listing and wrote it so terribly that their buyer didn't have a chance and you know what, to win this property. Poor souls. You know, people don't realize you are living and dying right now by your realtor and by the terms that you're able to do. So A, you have to make sure you get your finances figured out, get with a reputable lender, get pre-approved and through that underwriting process as far as possible so that you can possibly take those contingencies off and still feel comfortable comfortable about it, like finance contingencies, things like that. Know where your, your comfort level is because you know when you look at a house price right now, that is not what you're going to pay for it. That's your entry price. So a list price is like your eBay entry price. You expect to pay more. So if you're looking, if your budget is three fifty, stop looking at three fifty houses. You need to go look at two eighty to three hundred thousand dollars houses because right. there's going to be markup. So if you're sixty five, if your parents are sixty five, is now the best time. And don't to- listen to your parents. That's the other. Your married couple, right? That twenty six year old scenario. Do what you need to do. Don't listen to your yeah. parents because their 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 mindset, their bar is from their past real estate so experience. That was a, my dad was great. So we moved back to St. Louis about 15 years ago, and we bought a house probably for more than we needed to, mm-hmm. but he knew the market, yeah. and he knew we weren't going anywhere, mm-hmm. and so one of the better things that ever happened. Mm-hmm. Here was my follow-up question to the 26 years old. Let's flip the screen. Let's say you're 65, or your parents are 70. Is now the best time to sell the house and go find a condo? Probably so, yes. Think so? Yep. I get yeah. that. It seems to me like that. Yeah. Because you know, and my parents own a condo. They sold yeah. the house. 
It seems to me like historically we've never seen this type of appreciation in the it, St. It, Louis and market. It's not going to go down. I mean, like if you Might did balance, it in a year, it's going to balance at some point. Balance. It just seems to me because it's as easy and as fun it is yeah. to sell. But you can't. It's a drag you also buy. can't. It is. You, you can't try to time the market either. So if you want to buy or sell, buy or sell. Like right. you can't. You, if like one's gonna. If you do them both at the same time, they're both going to kind of. One's going to get you maximum. You know, a, a value out of your house, but then you're probably going to go pay maximum for what you're buying. But the the question that you asked is most likely somebody that's downsizing is selling a much more expensive house. So you're going to capitalize on all that appreciation that you're going to get out of this market right now. And yes, although you might be paying still top dollar for what you're buying, you're probably going to buy at a lower price point. So you're still going to be better off because the, the more the house, higher the house is, the higher your your equity is probably going to be in that house. So... All right, last question. I have no notes in front of me. I knew this was a question I was going to mm-hmm. ask you, if I remembered to ask you. Brag on yourself. Tell me the, I got those people in that house, and mm-hmm. it just made my week. All right, we just closed on one last week. I can talk about it. Once it's closed, we can talk about it. So we had a, um, and this is not the, this is not asterisks. This is not every single person. This is just one of those stories. Um, listed a person's house. In Chesterfield, the comp said 450-ish. I suggested to the seller we could perhaps do, you know, come in the market at 475 and you know probably get 500 for it. She was not comfortable. They weren't living here. They live out of state, part time here. Still have the house furnished. No, 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 no. 450 is good. I don't want to. I don't want to push it. I don't want to be too high. So we argued. Literally, I'm like trying to give you 25,000 more dollars, but they disagreed. So we, we list the house at 450 and you know do the things that we do to bring it pre-market. So there's a lot of hoopla coming onto the scene to create this buyer buzz and buyer urgency. And um, long story short, the, the kind of the way we're doing it right now is you bring it to the market a certain day, you let everybody come in for four or five days and say, we're not gonna, we're not gonna respond to anyone's offers during this time frame of the first few days on the market because we need to give time for enough people to get through. And then we're gonna respond to everybody's offers on Monday. So come, come on Wednesday, we'll respond to offers on Monday, but not before. Well, the person, first person that walks in the door on Wednesday writes an offer. Gives me five o'clock response time that night. So now they're ignoring the instructions, which is starting to happen. We have to present all offers to our seller. I present it and she's like, it was for 480, 481. She's like, it's a great offer. I want to take it. What do you think? I'm like, I, I think you should not take it. <laughs> I think we have 25 showings set up for over the weekend. I think you're going to do better. Oh, no, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. That we're happy with this offer. We like it. We should take it. Not listening again. So luckily, I had the news station come and interview me for something because I was getting ready to call that agent back and say, here, minus this little KSDK, tweet. Okay, right? I think so. I've had like four this week. So yeah, yeah, yeah you were there. Because I was yeah. there in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So luckily they came in and it slowed me down. So before I could call an agent back and say, hey, listen, they're going to actually, they're going to, they're going to accept your offer. I just need a proof of funds and I need to do this or that. It slowed me down and I noticed a voicemail came in and I don't typically listen to my voicemails right away, but I saw the transcribed part and the transcribed piece said something about making an offer on that house. So then, all right, I'm going to call this guy back real quick before I call that other agent back and tell her that she's going to win this offer and she's going to tick everybody off because I said we're not looking at offers until Monday and now here it's Wednesday and the seller wants to take this offer, but I can't tell her she can't. So I call this guy back and long story short, they want to make an offer. And I said, here's the deal, like, you got to do it tonight. He's like, oh, man, we were going to dinner. Can it wait till tomorrow? I'm like, not if you want this house because these people are going to take this other offer. Okay. He's like, well, what if we, you know, come in significantly over asking price? I go, what does that mean? What does significantly mean to you? It's relative to everybody, right? Because what if it's 100000 over? I was like, well, then we need to talk. <laughs> so I go, you better call your Where, people where's back. Where's dinner? I'll right, call you. your people back and, <laughs> and let me know. But, you know, time is of the essence because we're ready to accept this other offer. So they came back in at 6.05 with an escalation to 6.26 on a 4.50 asking price house. And that seller was getting ready to take that 481 offer against my against my you know, recommendation. <laughs> so we ended up two-week close, no contingencies, no appraisal, no inspections. And the seller could stay in for up to two months if they want afterwards to leisurely move out. So that's a unicorn offer, but we're starting to see a lot more unicorns out there. And it, it, on one side, I was super happy for my seller and you know felt accomplished. And the other side, I was a little sick to my stomach for the buyers because it's like, wow, 
one person came in here and just wiped everybody else out because everybody else was probably going to be, yeah, everybody else would probably be in that fifty thousand know dollars spread. They found a jewel for they found something 000, that they didn't. It wasn't worth it for them to play games. They wanted that house for a particular reason. I think they were coming in to care for a family member or something that's mm. in ailing health. And so, you know, they did what they had to do, and they, they, they got it. They locked it down because otherwise we would have waited until Monday. We probably would have reviewed 30 offers at that point in time. So that's one of our cool, neat stories that just happened last week. Do you week. mean the website? What's the website? Uh, experience-re.com, or you can always Google Kathy Helbig, H-E-L-B-I-G. You can find me anywhere. I'm all over the internet. I forget anything? I don't think so. 314-276-SOLD is our phone number. That's our what, property what, line. What is SOLD? Do you know the numbers? 7653-314-276-7653. Knuckle me. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate it. And another one for the books. Let's check back again as we do every Thursday. What am I doing this weekend? Two words. The Masters. As we do. Thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.